Welcome to our Rock City Church podcast. We are so excited to have you join us. Our desire is that you would listen with expectancy for what God wants to do in your life. We pray that you would encounter the mighty love of the Father and that you would be fired up for the more that He has for you. This is going to set up a message that I'm going to teach next week that I was actually going to teach this week. And uh, the message that I was going to teach this week was titled Sufficient Grace and how in our weakness, God's grace is sufficient and what that means. And I studied that out all this week until God woke me up at three o'clock in the morning and I have been up for hours. But fortunately, I just had my coffee, so I'm wide awake. And the worship was great, so I'm alive and well, right? And so um, uh, I was pretty jolted from a dream. I'm not gonna tell you the dream, it was very personal. But it was so revealing to my own heart that I couldn't go back to sleep, so I just got up. And then I just started typing. And so uh, I hope next week I'll be talking about grace. The reason why I want to talk about grace is is because grace is so significant to our life. We're saved by grace. We're protected and covered by grace. We find favor and grace from God. Uh, to do the things that we're called to do. And specifically next week, we'll be talking about Exodus 33, how God called Moses by name and and Moses found favor and grace in his sight. And why was that so important? It was important because Moses was about to lead millions of people to the promised land. And if he didn't have God's grace to do it, he never could have done it. And specifically God's empowerment and God's presence going with him. And then we're going to talk about um, how the Apostle Paul cried out to the Lord to remove a thorn in his flesh, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. So, we, so that was what I had planned to talk about, but this will set up that next week. And then after that, my plan is to start a new series heading into Pentecost, talking about the supernatural power of God for the next four to five weeks after that, leading up to Pentecost, and in turn, we're going to specifically focus on healing. All right? Uh, Physical healing is going to be a a top part of that. I'm really feeling an urgency for us to begin to believe God more for physical healing and to pray for that. We do pray already, and we we have full faith and confidence in physical healing, but it's time for us to learn what the Bible says and what Jesus did and how he did it so that we can understand what he did and that he's in us to do it now. All right? So there you go. There's your next couple months, and then I'm going to take all summer off. No, I won't, but I'm, in my mind, I will, right? Okay. Everything is a test. Everything is a test. Now, the problem is, is if you don't understand why the Lord tests us, you'll have fear about being tested because there's a fear that I'm going to fail or there's a fear that God's testing me to reveal just how bad I am. And though there's some truth to that in that it reveals our shortcomings and our inadequacies, really God tests us to show us how much we need him and how much we need to become like him. If you have a false perception of who God is, you will view testing as a harsh judgment and in turn, you'll allow yourselves to walk in shame. You know, the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant was all designed to test and reveal just how inadequate we are without faith and the headship of Christ in our life. And that particular law revealed just how inadequate we were, which ultimately caused people to feel condemned. 
That's why God brought a better way, a new way. And that new way is a life that we live by faith in Christ and through his love and through his death on the cross that in turn causes us or should cause us to never feel condemned. But a lot of you feel condemned and you constantly are putting this pressure on yourself to feel that you're not good enough or you're inadequate. I know that's the case because I talk to people all the time. The feeling is I'm not doing enough. The feeling is I'm not good enough. The feeling is I'm not worshiping enough or I'm not praying enough or I'm constantly falling short to sin and therefore I condemn myself and we lose sleep over it and we just struggle through our walk with the Lord and we're constantly feeling like we have to measure up and perform and we feel inadequate with him. We're gonna talk about that today. Everything is a test, everything. Let me give you some examples biblically of tests. Adam and Eve in the garden, two trees was a test. You can eat from all the trees in the garden, but don't eat from this one tree because as soon as you eat it, you will die. But there was a better tree, a tree of life. And that tree stands today. That tree is Christ. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus only did what he saw the father do. So God wants you to be spiritual, not good. He wants you to do good. But the problem is, is that if you don't understand the new covenant and what Jesus did on the cross, you'll constantly be feeling like you're not good enough or you have to measure up and you'll be condemning yourself. And I get it. Some of us, rightfully so in the natural, think that we should be condemning ourselves. Sin, failure, shortcomings, constant habitual fleshly patterns of sin. So you're living in the cycle of condemnation. But the cross and the blood broke that. And Jesus already forgave you of it. Okay? Now, we don't really understand the full reality of it if we're walking in condemnation and fear. This is why you have to understand if there's any fear in your life, there's an absence of perfect love, especially towards yourself. And your view of God is skewed, all right? Which I talk about this a lot. We're gonna talk about some of it today. So God tested Adam and Eve. Uh, They failed. God tested Abraham and he passed. Okay, Abraham passed. And it was accounted to him righteousness, but more than being accounted to him, his obedience be accounted as righteousness, he was called a friend of God, right? And what was the test? It, it was a test before he even marched up the mountain to sacrifice Isaac, but that was the test. Would Abraham be willing to give what he loved and valued and cherished the most? And God has a process of taking all of us through Isaac testings, all of us. Because we want to hang on so tightly to what we value and cherish the most. And in turn, we make it ours when God says, no, it belongs to me. You need to give it all to me. All right? So God tested Abraham. God tested the Israelites in the desert right off the bat with water at the, at the uh, pond Mara, or the, the little body of water called Mara, which means bitterness. It was a test. And all these things you can look up. You can look up tests or testings in your concordance. You'll find all these tests. He tested them with the manna. The specific testing with the manna was to see if they would be loyal and be obedient to what he said. That was the specific testing. Gather only what you need for the day and don't store it up for the next day. Because every day I have something new and I have something fresh for you. So it was a test of obedience and loyalty. 
God tested the Israelites at Mount Sinai, Exodus 20:20. The fire's raging on the mountain, and God tested their hearts there to see if they would be obedient and to follow him and to not give their hearts over to sin. God tests our love for him with false prophets and dreamers of dreams that ultimately lead people to worship other gods. The best thing that I could say to that is that, yeah, there's false prophets out there. I don't personally know a lot of them, but it's just in the Bible. It's in Deuteronomy uh, 13. He says, you're about to go over into the promised land. There's gonna be false prophets and people that are dreamers of dreams, but here's how you're gonna know that they're false. They're gonna lead you to worship other gods. And that's why I tell you about psychics and tarot card readers. Do not go because they can be extremely deceptive and many of them will even lay claim to knowing God or Jesus and Christianity and affirm you in your faith, but ultimately it leads you away not to worship the creator, but to worship the created things. It's very deceptive. If you've been to psychics and you've never repented, shut the door now and understand that these people have very real gifts from God, but they're using them as fortune tellers, not foretellers. They use it, their gift to make money, and they've turned away from truly glorifying and leading you to glorify Christ, okay? So we'll be tested. It was a test of loyalty and love. You look it up right off the bat, Deuteronomy 13. Jesus was constantly tested by the Pharisees, wasn't he? Constantly tested to see if they could trip him up with the law and if he would, you know, do anything contrary that they could find accusation towards him. Our faith is always tested in in order to trust God and have patience, James 1, right? So God tests us. The trying or the testing of your faith produces patience. The apostle Paul tested the sincere love of the Corinthian church by showing them the love that the Macedonian church had. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And then he used Jesus as the ultimate example of being rich and becoming poor, and that through his poverty, we became rich. So he was talking about giving, and he was talking about how the Macedonian church was so faithful, and he he tells the Corinthian church to look at this church and their example of love, how they chose. They actually didn't have a lot of money. It was a very poor church, but they gave abundantly. And then he talked about Jesus doing the same. He was as rich as rich could be, but he made himself poor so that you and I could become rich, okay? Through all of our offenses and how offensive we all were, he took took those offenses upon himself so that we could now be justified through him. You don't deserve justification. You're not justified in any other way but through the cross and through Christ. You're never gonna be good enough. I don't care how clear your conscience is today. Even your clear conscience of living upright before the Lord and doing all the right things will never justify you. If you don't get that understanding, you will become a religious Pharisee. And you'll think you're good and you're not. This is the deceptive trap of religion. This is why we're all here today. This is why we keep coming back because this is the gospel. It doesn't matter how good I am in the natural, I'm never gonna be good. I'm gonna show it to you in the Bible. Because even the apostle Paul said, look, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't justify me. You know what justifies me? The cross. Now, the cross requires something of me. 
It requires me to love and lay my life down like Jesus did. It may require me to become poor so that you can become rich. It may require me to lay my riches down so that I could see you become wealthy in Christ. Everything is a constant test, specifically a test to love. How well are you going to love? That's the question. And that's the question constantly posed to me. Employers, employees, coworkers, children, spouse, family members, coworkers, people in your community, our church, authorities, government officials, the homeless, the transients, etc. We're constantly being tested in all of our relationships, in our entire community of how well will we love. The revelation of how well I'm not loving others brings light to my own darkness, selfishness, and even pretension. So I actually have to have this revelation first of how poorly I'm loving so that I can find the accurate right way to love. Because if I, I can't compare it to myself, I can only compare it to the cross and the life of Christ. The truth is, is I constantly feel like I'm not loving well enough. And, and you know why? Because I'm comparing it to the cross. I'm comparing it to life. This is something that happens in your life as you mature in Christ. Now the sin issues of lust and sex and porn and drinking and drugs and all the stuff that tripped you up, those things fade away. Now God starts to measure you and test you by how well you're going to become like him. And then you realize I'm constantly falling short. Because if I'm living in selfish ambition and working an angle to try to get you to do something for me, that's sin. That's sin. But see, we don't see it that way. So we don't actually judge our hearts correctly according to true love and perfect love and according to the cross. Everything is an opportunity to love better. Everything's a test. I get people complain to me about their jobs all the time. What if your job was your mission field? What if that angry boss that treats you like garbage, that abuses you and treats you like a doormat, what if God did put you there for a reason and a purpose? I don't want any of you to be abused. I wish I could set all y'all free out of the frying pan. But what if God, the frying pan was the Lord's pan? What if he was sifting things out of your own life to make you more like him? God doesn't want you to stay in a miserable situation, but God will use those situations to test our hearts to see how well we will love because how you finish something is how you start something. How you end something is how God begins something. It's a constant process of you learning how to become more like him instead of complaining. What if it was the desert wasteland? What if God did deliver you out of Egypt and took you straight into the desert to trust him? It's a rhetorical question. I need the revelation of how short I'm, fall, how short I'm falling in, when it comes to perfect love. So do you. That's why we're here today. So open your ears and eyes because we're going to really talk about it. We're going to really talk about it because God's not done dealing with me on it. And if he's still dealing with me on it, if I'm... What if, what if you didn't even realize it, but subconsciously you're drowning the people you love the most? What if instead of setting them free, 
and loving and leading them like Christ, we're actually holding them underwater. And we're killing them instead of bringing life to them. I know that sounds harsh, but I'm pretty sure I'm doing it. It's subtle, not malicious. I don't want to drown you. I want to drown the ones I love the most. It's not my heart. But it's malicious, it's subconscious. And most of the time, I'm not even aware of it. Most of the time, we're not even aware of it. It's subconscious. You know what the subconscious is? If you look up in the dictionary, the subconscious, this is the definition. It's the part of the mind of which one is not fully aware, but which influences your actions and your feelings. So there's something influencing your actions and your feelings about other people. You're being influenced subconsciously and you're not even aware of it. But see, that's what the Holy Spirit does is he comes into your conscience and highlights, he shines his light on the darkness to reveal the areas that you're not like him. To understand that, you have to understand the word conscience. The word conscience means to be aware and to respond to your surroundings properly. It means to be awake. To have knowledge of something and be aware. Sometimes painfully aware. But see, if you don't understand how God comes to cut things out of your life, when it becomes painfully aware, what do we do? We shut it down. Instead of saying, God, this is ugly. And, and not allowing ourselves to go into the condemnation zone of shame and victim mentality. That's why David said, God, search me. Know me. Cut me wide open. Do, do open heart surgery on me. And test me and see if there's any anxious way inside of me. Because anxious, anxious ways always lead to self-preservation, shame, and control. And fear. Always. If I'm anxious about something, I often tend to protect myself in the midst of it. How well I love others reveals God to the world around me, especially to those that have never seen God at any time. How well we love others also reveals that God abides in us, with the end result being that God's love has been perfected in us. I taught you this last week, 1 John 4, 12. So the way that people see Christ inside of us, or the way people actually see God is they see him by him abiding in his people. You're his body, you're his hands and his feet. So now how well we love other people becomes a revelation to Christ, of Christ in the world around us. I want to show people the Lord so bad, so bad. But I used to do it in this religious, dutiful, preachy, evangelistic way that was very, had a lot of Christianese wrapped around it. And I had a lot of hooks in my hand instead of realizing love has no hooks because love is the actual hook itself. All the world will know we're his disciples by how well we... So, so the problem is, is we have agendas. And if we don't have love ruling and reigning and coursing through us, we're never going to be able to see the ones we love the most come to true life. Instead, we may be actually drowning them. 
If I don't love, then I don't even know God, 1 John 4, 8. If you don't love, the Bible says, we don't even know him. So love is the very clear identifier. And remember, I taught you guys last week, the highest form of love is agape love. And agape love takes no account into the wrongs or rights that you do, your value, what you can do for me. What, it doesn't account for any of that. That was the love that Jesus had on the cross. Now, it doesn't mean it's okay to allow yourself to be beat by your spouse or abused. There's certain, there's, God gives us biblical guidelines in those types of things, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about loving properly at all times to everyone that's around us so that we can actually know God and reveal Christ to the world around us. But I also wanna bring it home to how well you love yourself because if you don't know the love of God, you will never love yourself properly and then you will never love others properly. God manifested his love toward us so that we could live through him. Everybody say, through him. This is very important that you understand that because it ultimately reveals to the world what perfect love looks like. It's 1 John 4, 9. So God demonstrated perfect love to the world when Christ died on the cross so that now you can live through him. Let's say it again, through him. That's right. Through him is so important because if it's not through him, it's of your own strength. You're never gonna be able to do it. You will never be able to love right if you're not living your life through Christ, Amen. ever. The scripture is so important. This, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten son in the world that we might live. So God manifested his love to us by giving of himself so that now we could live through him. It's the only way that we can do it. In my own strength and ability, I don't have the capacity to love properly. This is the revelation. You do not have the capacity to love properly if you are not doing it through Christ. If you're doing it in your own strength, you will never be able to love properly. I don't even have the ability to choose who, when, where, and how to love the way God does. I don't even understand how if I'm not doing it through him and I don't have it coursing through my own veins. I realize that we are so completely inadequate without him. And so then what happens is, is I, I, you can constantly fall into this shame and condemnation thing that I'm not good enough, I'm never gonna love right. The best revelation is that's right. That's why you have Christ. Ta-da, put a smile on your face and pick yourself up because yeah. God gives you chance after, ch he's a God of a million chances. <laughs> now, I, I just, once I realize these types of things, I say, how can I love you better and make it not about me? Because the way that I love you and the way that I love you will keep bringing you back and keep bringing you to him to the point you will finally see it because he loves you even better than I do and he cares about your soul even better than I do. And he cares about your children even better than you do. The best thing you can do is become like him. Everything else is behavior modification. There's no other way. There's not any other way. You're never gonna be able to do this. So you walk around living like you're inadequate. And then you take control and you just shut people out. Just don't answer the phone. I just don't want to talk to anybody. 
Just get the revelation. Jesus died for this purpose. This is the good news. This is the great news in a world of bad news. And sometimes God shows you the bad news so that, and it's painfully obvious, so that he can then bring in the good news. There's no, you'll never see your darkness if the light doesn't shine on it. So the, the answer should be, God, shine your light on my darkness. Woo! Most of the time I'm doing, trying to love in my own strength. I'm telling myself today. Because God keeps dealing with me on this thing. Subconsciously, in ways I'm not even aware of. It's not like I'm maliciously trying to use you or not love you well or get something from you. And many times I think I'm doing it right. And God says, no, you can do it much better. Thank God he's patient. I just need to become more perceptive and more sensitive to what God's doing. Everything's a test. The, the, it's all a test of how well you're gonna love. That's the test. Because if you don't love God, you're never gonna love yourself or others and that'll lead you to compromise and sin and using and sleeping around and drugs and alcohol and me, myself and I and checking out and numbing out and disconnecting and being disconnected from God because we don't understand how much God really loves us. But once you start to get the revelation, you will find freedom. And I want freedom like I've never, ever had before. And you should too, because we can't live the same anymore. You cannot live the same going into what lies ahead. You cannot live the same. Because of my own life, my own selfish ambitions, and because so much of the time I see through the lens of my own preferences, I subtly discount so many people and opportunities to love well and lead well. I'll, I'll own it. And I get it. My wife says, you're being so hard on yourself, Blastula. I said, as compared to who? If I really want to show the world Christ, I need to become him to the world. And the only way I'm going to become him is the way that I love like he loved. Loving well always leads to leading well. Not for selfish or personal gain, but because you love them even when they don't reciprocate or love and lead you well employers, family members, those with mental health issues, addicts, those that don't believe and think the way that you do. I often, I learned a long time ago when God brings the craziest of the craziest person in front of me that I really don't like. If I don't love them well, God says, I'm going to bring 10 more right after them. Yeah, that explains why you keep having all these crazy people in your life. That's right. God was no respecter of persons. God doesn't respect anybody more than the other. He loves all of people equally. But yet we write people off in our hearts. 
I write so many people off that I shouldn't be writing off. And God says, if you really want to be like me, you're going to have to love like me and you're going to have to lay your life down like I did. The harsh reality or the painful truth is that our love pales in comparison to his. And so much of the time, we're not even aware of it. It's subconscious. When I'm self-consumed with my own desires, wants, and needs, I tend to be quick to disengage, determine in my own mind what's worth my time or not, judge erroneously, make assumptions, pull away, not tell the truth, not pray, commune, look, and listen to what the Father is saying and doing, and not having reality-based conversations led by the Spirit. This is especially the case when we don't like how we're being treated. This is where we miss not loving and being like Jesus. Utterly consumed by our own fleshly desires and in turn treating people the way they treat us. Using others, pulling away or having subtle hatred in our hearts towards one another that separates, divides, and kills one another. even deeper root is not being able to love others until we have proper love for ourselves. This love only comes from seeing ourselves the way Jesus sees us, which leads to living the way he lives, which leads to losing. And it even leads to death. But that leads to life. This is an unending cycle that always brings us to the place where we realize it can only be done through him and not of ourselves. It's a constant test. You're never going to be able to do it in your own strength. Which then leads to us looking like, acting like, sounding like, and loving like him. Hence, as we are, as he is, so we are in this world. And now when you pray for somebody that's sick, you're not doing it in hopes that there's a miracle so that you can be famous or recognize or, but, or even just doing it because you want to see the gift manifest. You're doing it because you love the person so much you'll do whatever it takes to see them healed. When you don't have perfect love writing in your heart for yourself, you'll constantly judge yourself and others inaccurately. This is an actual injustice that comes out of our subconscious that constantly demeans and belittles us. And some of you are living with it night and day. It's not how God intended you to live. That voice that constantly tells you you're not doing enough, you're losing, you're failing, you're not good enough. They don't care about you. They don't love you. And then causes us to reciprocate the way that they treat you. Or maybe they're not treating you that way, but we believe the lies that they are. Or when they don't treat us the way that we think they should after you've done all that you can do, and they pull away or leave you. 
or they don't listen to what you say, or they spitefully use you. Jesus had something to say about that. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who spitefully use you, because if you're talking to God about those people, you'll realize those are the ones that God died for, and you'll realize those are the ones that God loves the most. Inaccurate love for yourself from God will always lead to inaccurate love towards others, hence the golden rule for loving others is yourself. Matthew twenty two twenty nine. Love your neighbor as yourself. But the thing is, is if I'm not having an accurate understanding of God's perfect love and God's not abiding in me, then I'll have tainted love towards you. And I'm really good and we're really good at masking it with religious language in the name of God. But accurate love from God always leads to confidence, peace, security, trust, and the ability to see and give to others the way God does for you. This is where our conscience and subconscious comes in. Let me show you a great scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. You're going to love this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. This is the Passion Translation. The most important quality of one entrusted with such secrets. Now, the secrets are, because I teach on verse 1 all the time is that God has entrusted us to be stewards of the mysteries of Christ. And there's lots of mysteries. There's lots of hidden things that God was revealing to Paul, but he also brings revelation to us. But God has this way of making sure that our grace, that his grace is sufficient so that you're not leading in your own strength when you begin to grow and get more understanding of who he is. He actually decreases you so that he can increase in your life instead of making you think that you're something and that you're so great because you're Mr. or Miss Knowledgeable Preacher, Bible, Pastor, Teacher, Evangelist, great world-changing, whatever it is that we lay claim to ourselves. So the most important quality of one entrusted with such secrets is that they're faithful and trustworthy. God wants us all to be faithful and trustworthy. But personally, I'm not the least bit concerned if I'm judged by one of you, by you, or any verdict I receive from any human court. I want you to catch that. Basically, I'm the least bit concerned about what you think about me. I'll show you why. You've got to understand that there's a why behind that. In fact, I don't even assume to be my own judge. But some of y'all are judging yourself erroneously constantly. I know the things I'm saying today is pretty weighty and heavy. I get it that it's moving my heart and I'm in tears. I get that. But at the same time, it's a freeing revelation because it creates a greater dependency upon the Lord instead of my own strength. And all of us need a greater dependency on the Lord or we're going to race through this life using and abusing others. And then we're going to get old and we're going to look back and we're going to say, man, I really blew it. I'd rather you get it now. For your kids, for your grandkids. So he says, I'm not even assuming to be my own judge. Even though my conscience is clear, watch what Paul says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't mean I stand acquitted before the Lord, for the only judge I care about is him. 
so he's, he's making it very clear. There's only one true judge that judges accurately, and it's Christ. And he has to be on the throne of your heart. And he's saying, I'm not even judging myself. I'm allowing Christ to show me the reality of who I am and the reality of who you are. So now I'm not even judging my own self. Even though my conscience is clear, that doesn't equip me. What he's saying is, is that doesn't make me good because there's a lot of people that can behavior modify themselves to have a clear conscience and do nothing wrong. And that is the worst deception, in my opinion. Religious deception is awful. I need more grace for that kind of deception, personally. So resist the temptation to pronounce premature judgment on anything before the appointed time when all will be fully revealed. Instead, wait until the Lord makes his appearance, for he will bring all that is hidden into darkness, hidden in darkness to light and unveil every secret motive and everyone's heart. Then, when the whole truth is known, each will receive praise from God. I'll sum it up with this. Confidence and security in God's love always breaks the man-pleasing spirit. Some of us are so concerned about what other people think about you. How you look, how you act, your social status, your money, your appearance, your clothes, your hair, your makeup, your whatever it is. When you understand what Christ did on the cross and how much he loves you, and you understand you're never going to be justified by how good you are anyway, and that Christ is the only one that can actually make us who we're called to be and the other person the same, not only do we start loving ourselves right, we start loving them right. This confidence brings you to a place where you stop judging everything and everyone around you, and most importantly, to the place where you don't even judge yourself. That's what he said. I don't even judge myself. I let the Lord shine his light and reveal the darkness in me. Unless the Lord is judging us, unless the Lord is shining his light on the dark places of our heart, and if it's the Lord, it's always judged by the fruit of his spirit and forbearance. God has forbearance. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's kind. He's merciful. He's full of love. He is the fullness of the fruit of the spirit in us. And most importantly, by the love and the blood of his son, the ultimate sacrifice that brought propitiation and atonement for our sins, failures, and inability to love accurately. And in time when you see this, inaccurate love becomes your worst sin. I can't point a finger to a specific thing in my life. I didn't look at, I'm not looking at porn, I'm not getting drunk, I'm not getting high, I'm not stealing lying, cheating that maybe I'm aware of, but subconsciously, maybe I'm holding people underwater and you are too, because we're not loving like him. And we start judging everything by right and wrong instead of by how well we love. That's the tree of, the, of life. It's important to see that a clear conscience doesn't put us in right standing or justifies before God. Only the way we love proves and justifies. Jesus took all the offenses, all the trespasses that we committed and all the due judgment of death upon himself on the cross. And in turn, that's what justifies us. Romans 4.25. Jesus, who was delivered up because of, everybody say, my offenses. offenses. And was raised because of 
So he took all your offenses and now he justified you. You were offensive. There's not one person in here that wasn't offensive. The key is to stop being offended and offensive. You're gonna have lots of opportunities to be offended. In fact, it's a, you, when Jesus said, forgive 70 times seven in a day, that's 480 times, it's every 2.8 seconds. And some, some of us are so offended. We don't like the way other people are acting or we write them off because they're crazy or they keep doing the same repetitive thing. Just like we once did because we were all living in offenses. Lose the critical judgment spirit first of yourself. You won't be able to sleep at night and you lose rest because you're anxious and it kills you because of stress. And then we get on pills and medication because we're anxious about the things of this world when God said to be anxious for nothing but come into agreement with him through prayer and supplication of what he says. I'm only coming into agreement with what he says today. All I'm doing is telling you what he said. You know, many times I write this stuff and I think, this would be such a great book. And then the Lord says, I already wrote the book. If people would just read their Bible, they would get this same revelation too. Woo! All right, I'm finished with this. All of us were offensive and none of us were justified by our good works, but rather by the grace of God. First, the grace given to Jesus to endure the cross for us, and now the grace given to us to endure the cross for ourselves and others. So God gave Jesus grace to endure the cross. Now he gives you the grace to endure the cross. And not only is the cross your own cross, but it's the cross of others. It's carrying and bearing the burden of others. It's people persecuting you and beating you down and not treating you right and giving you every opportunity to love them better when they treat you like crap. So we should all repent. There's, I ran into a, a friend, she's my friend now, but the lady that put together the day of repentance at Cole Park. Some of you were there. I got up and God said, I want you to really repent. And I want you to tell, repent to the city of how much you have not liked other pastors and politicians in the city. Because the truth is, is most of them I really haven't liked. <laughs> I said, I was sorry. Ta-da. <laughs> because I'm judging them erroneously and then you subtly cut the hem of their garment and what if God's anointing them and what if they're fools just like you? What if God's using them just like you? What if God's revealing a better way and then once you get the revelation of it, you start criticizing them and being critical of them because you think you know more. You get your little snippers out and you cut hems of garments of God's anointed because you don't like it and you're in the judgment seat. And yet God's using them and he starts to show you a better way. So then you become hyper-spiritual and a know-it-all and you start condemning them because you think you have it figured out. And the truth is, the older you get, the more you decrease and the more you realize you know nothing. And the faster you can come to that place and realize my love pales in comparison and I need to repent because there's probably people in my life I'm drowning when I should be bringing them up for air and giving them CPR so they can have life. And I have much more to say about that. 
just pull this up and I'm gonna pray for you. First Corinthians 4, 5. Is that this? Yeah. Resist the temptation to pronounce premature judgment on anything. On anything. Resist the temptation. Why? Many of you are tempted now. I see people leave. Sometimes they're leaving because they got to go to the bathroom. Sometimes I make them mad and they don't like me. (laughs) But but resist the temptation because you're always tempted to eat from that other tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Lord, show me. And instead of real discernment by the Spirit, we put ourselves in the judgment seat. Jesus is Lord. I'm not. The best way I can show them the Lord is by how well I learn to love. And as you grow older, if you're pursuing the Lord, you will really realize how short you fall in how well you love. There's an appointed time when everything's going to be revealed. What was the other scripture? When Christ appears. Yeah, is Jesus coming back? Yes, but what about if he's going to appear in your situation with that person you hate right now? What about that person you are holding unforgiveness and judgment and bitterness towards? And Jesus wants to appear. And then you're going to really look like a fool because you judge them in their heart and now they repent to the Lord and you'll actually be madder. I see this in couples, in marriages all the time. The one spouse was really flamed on for the Lord. The other wasn't. So in turn, they both were never really living for God. Then one day, the other spouse got flamed on and went all in with Christ, and the, the first spouse got angry because they said, I was always trying to get you to be like this, and then the other one flames on alive and well, but now the one spouse isn't. Isn't that just insane? So I just, I'm, I'm, you got to repent. If you're using people for your own gain, repent. Just turn, just ask for forgiveness. Give it to the Lord and say, I don't know how to love, but I want to. And disconnect from that horrible tree that's causing you to be angry and offended and live in a world of right and wrong and hypercritical of everything. You know how you know when it's there? By how you think at about 11 o'clock at night and what you go to bed with and how you sleep and what you wake up with and how you work and how you run and how you live. Thorns and thistles in the gardens of our heart and in the gardens of our life and in the gardens of our work. It's a result of the curse from the garden. The best thing you can do, the best thing I can tell you is to repent. You know why? Because God's bringing a mighty move to this nation and a mighty move to our city and a mighty move to this church. Not just this church. There's revival is authentically happening in the churches of the city. And if you don't get love right, you can have all the power. You can have all the accolades. You can have all the money. And you'll protect it and preserve it instead of becoming like Jesus who laid down all the riches and humbled himself to the point of death so that you and I could become rich. This is the awesome. This is the gospel. This is the great news. So let's repent. Let's repent right now. Go ahead and stand up. We'll repent together.
All right. It's just this is between you and the Lord right now. Just take this moment. Because look, we're going to be moving into some incredible power. We're going to be moving into some incredible revelation and wisdom. And if we don't understand how to love right first for ourselves, we're going to miss it. And we're never going to be unified and go where God's calling us to go. So just ask the Lord right now. Lord, who, who am I not loving well? Who am I drowning when I should be loving? You, this is between you and God. between you and God. Feel like you're losing? Feel like you're dying? Maybe it's a test of how you can love better. So just take that thing and tell the Lord, I repent. God, I repent for not loving like you. The truth is, is, I don't really know how, but I want to is the best thing you can say. Show me how to love like you love, Lord. Show me who I need to love better, family members, friends, coworkers, my employer. Show me, God, that how to pass this test with your help that you already passed on the cross. We cannot do it without you. So, Lord, we choose to live through you. And my prayer for everybody here and everybody watching online is that all of our lives will be submitted to you to live through you, your way, and to love like you love. First, to love ourselves so we don't live in condemnation, but that we will live in justification by your life on the cross. Have mercy on us, God. And give us grace, give us the strength, even to lead stiff-necked people right on out of Egypt. Give us the grace, God. Give us the grace like you gave to Moses. Let us find favor and call us by name. Give us the grace to love and to lead well. And thank you for your forgiveness that you already provide on the cross. I speak forgiveness over you. Just accept it. Just tell them, Lord, forgive me. Sometimes the best thing you say is, I've been a real jerk, and I, wanna, I don't want to be like that anymore. Give me the capacity to love like you love. And now, God, I speak life, health, power. When you walk out of this room, may, it, may the love of God chase you down. And may you start loving everybody that you don't like even better. May you love those loved ones and family members even better. So I bless all of you as you go today to be more and look more and sound more and act like and be Christ to a world that's never seen him. That's what we're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys so much. I love you all so much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you want to partner with us in what God is doing here at Rock City, you can give by visiting our website at rockcitycorpus.com give.